Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome in to Mason Peru and Brewcast on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am Luke Yardy, joined as always by Anthony Brew and Chris Castellano. We've got a fun one in store for you here. Uh, th- this show is going to be easier, or I don't want to say easier to, to talk about the game, but uh, more cheerful to talk about the game last week. We're here with you on Monday night, headed into Tuesday. So, guys, how, how, how are you feeling coming off a, a victory, man? It's it's good to have a win and, and a convincing win to talk about here on Brewcast. Can I just say, if one more person tweets at me or drops a comment or drops feedback to a podcast that says, who gives a shit? It was Rutgers. Like, I honestly might just jump out of a moving car. Like, I get it. I get it. It was Rutgers. Um, let's, it was a pretty thorough game. It was a clean game. Let's not really, let's not call it any more than what it really is. It was a nice tip of the hat. We know that Rutgers is terrible. They fired their head coach. They're rebooting again uh, because they are in a perpetual state of suck. But, you know, I, I look at that game and listen, Michigan achieved pretty much everything it needed to achieve this week. And you, you tip your cap and you move on. I'm not, you know, this could have gone one of two ways this week. They could have either shut it down and just won like 35-10 or 35-14, or they could have beaten the brakes off of them. And yeah, I get it. It was Rutgers. But I, I swear to God, if one more person says that to me, I might punt a puppy off of a bridge, honestly. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I think uh, I'm pretty much in agreement with you on that. I, I think Michigan, you go down the checklist of things you wanted to see. We saw them. Defense was tighter. Pitched a shutout. Great. Shea, far more accurate, far more comfortable in the pocket. Receivers got open. You had big plays by DPJ, Nico Collins, Tariq Black had a few catches. Uh, you didn't run the ball super well, but didn't necessarily need to, or didn't need to at all. Um, I guess it. this was kind of more of a slow burn blowout, I feel like. I feel like in 2016, when it was 78 to nothing, that thing was, I mean, I, I feel like that was 21 nothing before you blinked. This one uh, it just got away from them, uh, and understandably so. Rutgers is beyond awful, but they did everything they needed to do. And I remember even two years ago, uh, that was the game where John O'Corn got pulled, I believe, and they finally put in Brandon Peters, and Michigan early on in that game was struggling a little bit. You didn't get that here. They took it to Rutgers right away. They took care of business. I think the bigger question that we're all going to be asking ourselves and asking on this podcast is, did Michigan do enough to change our opinions on this season and the way that we're viewing this team four weeks in? I mean, obviously... I'm going to need to see it, you know, like everyone says, you're going to need to see it again here this week, you know, with Iowa ranked opponent coming in. But at the end of the day, I'm going to ask you guys this, like, who's a better team? Is Middle Tennessee or Rutgers a better team? And if that's the case, like, I feel like they're probably similar talent wise. And that's a huge knock on Rutgers, obviously. But Michigan looked far, far better and far more dominant against Rutgers than they did in the first game of the season against Middle Tennessee. Yeah, and I think it boils down to, I've been talking about this for a few weeks, and I think that in a lot of ways, some of the problems have been a little bit overstated. That's not to say that they don't have some very real problems, and there are some things that even in the Rutgers game I saw that still stick out as concerns to me, but it's amazing what you're able to do offensively when you just take care of the football. A lot of those turnovers, it was the first game of the year, we're four games in, mind you, that they did not fumble on the opening drive of the game. Like, they gave themselves a chance to get into a flow to execute, and and they did that. They executed the game plan that was in front of them. Obviously, they were challenged all week. Their heart was questioned. Their fight was questioned. And whether, I mean, there still might be some talent and schematical limitations there, but I thought overall it was in, like, and people will keep saying it doesn't matter. And that's fine in a grand scheme of things when we're looking big picture, because that is the outlook, you know, the outlook here is the big picture outlook. How are they going to pretty much every team they play the rest of the year, except for Illinois is, is, or has been a top 25 team at some point this season. A lot of them are top 15 teams. So is what we've seen good enough to beat them? I'm not, I'm not so sure yet, but like Jim Harbaugh said uh, in his Monday press conference, he said, Right now, we're just looking to play two good football games in a row. And if that happens, we'll look at it as a trend. And then if we're able to do that and go out and play a third football game in a row, then it starts becoming a habit. And we can start having a conversation about you know, where things go from here. So um, I pretty much align with that line of thinking. Like I, I think that uh, – oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, sorry, Anthony. I thought you had, had finished. There was a, a bit of a skip. I thought you finished. Finish your, you could finish your thought. No, I mean, it kind of just goes back to what I've been saying all along. Like, in order to get rolling over this three-game stretch that I think these games are very winnable, even Iowa this weekend, 
you got to you had to get through that first game first, and you had to be pretty convincing in that first game. And you know, not only were they convincing, they had their first shutout in three years, and you know, pretty much beat the brakes off of a team that, quite frankly, has no business even being in the Big Ten. So, um, yeah, like I said, I'm not going to sit here and dog them because it's Rutgers. I'm also not going to sit here and praise them because it was Rutgers. They did exactly what a good team is supposed to do to a hapless team, period. And I, I think that brings up the question to me, right? I think that's that's the perfect way to put it, Anthony. I think most rational people are going to agree with your line of thinking. Like people who say, who cares, it's Rutgers. Like what, Michigan has to play that football game, you know, at the end of the day. Like they, they have to play. It's, it's a Big yeah. Ten mandated game, you know, like and they went out there and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. But that brings up the question, man, what the hell happened in that Wisconsin game? Like, I'm sitting there watching that Rutgers game, and I'm like, okay, if Wisconsin beats Michigan even by, like, two touchdowns, you know what, maybe I maybe I could see that because Wisconsin's a really good team. But Michigan being down 28 nothing at halftime and at one point thirty five nothing in that game, like, they had no business being down 35 points to that Wisconsin team. Like, watching that Rutgers game made me think, what on earth happened in that game? Well, especially when you see that Northwestern went into Madison this past weekend and gave uh, – was that game in Madison – yeah. Okay. They went into Madison and like they gave they gave them a much better game than than Michigan did. And Rutgers oh is a and Northwestern, Northwestern stinks. Yeah, Northwestern's I mean, not, not a good team. They're if Michigan no. played them even at Ryan Field, I'd be confident they win by you know fourteen, seventeen, twenty points, like at least. But um, you know, I think that it really just goes back to I think this team has been in its own head a little bit. You know, I, I don't. I think I've said this on this pod before, one of the other shows during the week, like to me to start this year, this was a program that was looking at, Hey, we need to do everything we can to get to where we can to beat Ohio state. Like today, this week, we got to do it now. And it's like, you can't win that game in November on August 31st or September 6th or, you know, September 15th, whenever these first, you know, batch of games were had to just kind of do what you're going to do and get better one game at a time. And I think that coupled with, you know, pressing and making mistakes and the fumbles and the unforced errors. And um, I really think that this team is still even now sort of fighting its way out of a state of shock from the way that that Ohio state game went last year. And um, you know, when, when you look at, you know, they just needed to have a good week of practice, take care of the team that was in front of them and, and just put together a clean game, a concise game and give themselves a chance. And in that Wisconsin game, you ask why things got away from them. You know, you fumble on the third play of the game. You you can't get a stop defensively. You're getting pushed around. Like, I think that first error of the game was just the snowball. And even from there, even with that, I mean, people will say they lost the game there on that Ben Mason fumble. But I think where they really lost the game is on that Ronnie Bell catch that was overturned. Um, because then it was just kind of like, from there it was the bottom fell out. It was the here we go again type thing. Um, this team needs to build a callus. And, and, and they're... You know, I know they were shell-shocked by the way that last year ended, but last year was last year. And, you know, you don't – Jim Harbaugh talks about all the time, you don't want one loss to turn into two. Uh, well, one loss turned into two into the bowl game. And then I, I really think the way that they got smacked around late in the year last year played a part into two kind of uninspiring efforts to start the year and then a disaster at Wisconsin. So um, maybe the wake-up call they needed. I mean, if nothing else, they were able to hit the reset button and have a laugher that we haven't seen from them all year. And I think that, uh, you know, it was a much needed, hopefully a confidence booster. Uh, I still have some very real questions that we'll talk about, but um, 
you know, at the end of the day, I just kind of think that this week was exactly what it needed to be. And, um, you know, nothing more, nothing less. I'm not going to overhype it. I liked a lot of things that I saw. I, I liked that Josh Gaddis was down on the sideline. Um, the energy was palpable there from the guys on the field. Um, I thought they made enough, I made, they made enough positive changes last week and had a good enough week of practice to enable what happened on Saturday. And, uh, as cliche as it is, all you can really ask for him to do is have a good practice on Monday, have a good practice Tuesday, have a good practice Wednesday and, and set yourself up to win a, you know, win a big game this weekend. I know it's, it's going to be one of those games again, where I know Iowa's ranked 14th. I think they might be a little bit overrated, but you know, if Michigan wins the game, it'll be one of those games where, oh, well, Iowa is overrated anyways. Like, I don't care. I'm not moving the goalposts here. Like coming into this weekend, Michigan's ranked 19th. Iowa's ranked 14th. This is a big game, like period. So we'll see. We'll see how they respond. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And real quick, just adding to that, you know, one thing that you brought up after the Ohio State game last year, and I've brought up uh, many times because I thought it was it was a good point about Michigan. We kind of looked at this season as as a one game schedule type of thing. And I think to a certain extent, um, the players might have looked at it that way as well. And when you look at your schedule from the very beginning, you can't win 12 games in 60 minutes. And I think that that, and it can become very insurmountable when looked at it in that way. And I think that loss, while I I refuse to believe believe that there's any such thing as a good loss, and I will never say that, and I think that Wisconsin game was a complete disaster, and I'll always stand by that. I think that loss allowed them to reset and say, look, we, we... they tried to go out and beat Wisconsin and Ohio State and Michigan State on the same weekend, and that's impossible. And I think that loss has has allowed them to reset and say, let's just go out and play the team in front of them. They got a they caught a break in the fact that the team right after Wisconsin was Rutgers, a glorified bye week. They took care of business, and they have officially kind of hit the reset button. Can they can they climb their way back up to the top and maybe do something special? Uh, I, I still have a lot of doubts. Well, let me ask you guys this. Do you think that maybe some of the preseason expectations got to this team at all? Like you guys kind of alluded to the fact that you thought maybe it was a one-game season, but this is the first time in a long time that people thought Michigan was a favorite to win the Big Ten over Ohio State. Do you think, you know, listening to that all summer, headed into the season and and buying into all the hype, even themselves, like did did the expectations, were they just too much and now they're going to be better off kind of under the radar and no one believes in us sort of thing? Well, here's the thing of it. And if I have to play psychologist here, uh, I'm not qualified to do so, but we're going to give it a shot anyways. Like, after the Ohio State game last year, that's all any of us said, and we said it on this show too. This season, the only game that matters is is winning, beating Ohio State, winning the Big Ten. We said that all off season, and these guys are on social media. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that shouldn't have been the expectation. It's Michigan, like it absolutely should be, with the resources they have, with the talent they have, with some of the philosophical changes that they've that they've been trying to make. That absolutely is the expectation. But at the same time, even to start the year, Jim Harbaugh had said, I think it was in his press conference after Middle Tennessee State, he said, you know, after every game, after every practice, we're going to go back and look and, and is this good enough to beat Ohio State? Is it good enough to beat Michigan State? Is it good enough to beat Notre Dame? And like, I'm not saying that's the wrong message to send because um, you, you look at a team like Ohio State, 
they take time out of practice every week to to prepare for Michigan, to watch Michigan film, to see what they're doing. But I think that however they go about it um, is is probably a much better way to go about it than whatever Michigan was doing. Because what I saw in those first three weeks was a team that, um, like I said, it, it seemed like they were pressing in order to make up a ton of ground, you know, and catch up to Ohio State. You know, as Ohio State continues to grow throughout this year, it's like no, I, I get it and I understand it to a certain extent. But I, I think the, the mental mistakes, the um, you know, the the being unsure of what your identity is, I think a lot of that, to be honest and to be frank, and this is an excuse. It's not an excuse. I swear it's not. But like, I, I really do think that this was a football team in those first that first month of the season or whatever it was that really was focused, you know, really too worried about how they stacked up to their rivals, to their big games and their schedule. Like I, I think that them going back to a week by week approach and a day by day approach, which is kind of what it seems like they've done in the last couple of weeks or so uh, is the right way to go about it. Now, does that mean that they're going to figure out some of these big game problems? I can't say that it will. I, I can't give them the benefit of the doubt that it will, because when they get to those big games, especially the ones on the road, I'm used to just seeing the deer in the headlights look, uh, but the, Michigan has a chance here the next few weeks to, you know, build that callus, build an edge for itself, and you know, take all of our takes, take them takes, and kind of shove them right back up our rear end. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of where it is right now. Um, I think it's a team that just needs to go about its business about its business one day at a time, uh, because especially now with the schedule getting as difficult as it does, I mean, I, you know. I, They'll beat Illinois. They'll beat Maryland. But other than that, every other team on their schedule in these last, whatever it is, eight games of the year can yep. beat them and has the ability to beat them soundly if they don't show up and play. So uh, they can't afford to look ahead anymore uh, if that's if that's truly what was going on. So um, it's time to just kind of you know, not really flip the switch, but if you could just just get rolling and, and get give yourself a chance – by the time that Ohio State comes around, or that Ohio State game comes around, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, right now, through one week of this, you know, nine-week rebuild or whatever it is, you you have to just tip tip your hat to the work that was done last week. And you know, for as much as we may take issue with the coaching staff with Jim Harbaugh, I think that he did a really nice job rallying the troops in what was, quite frankly, probably one of the most toxic weeks of Michigan football, Michigan football fandom, social media sense, honestly, probably the Brady Hoke era. So my hat goes off to them. Chris? Yeah, I pretty much agree with all that. I'll just say I think if uh, as a team you're getting wrapped up in expectations, uh, and not saying this team did, but just in general, if that is the case, uh, then you you probably shouldn't be playing at Michigan. And, and I don't even mean that as a as a greater, greater than thou you know, attitude. I just think if it you if that's the case, you shouldn't be playing at any of the major uh, power five schools because that there's got to be expectations every year. And I think this team wants to have those expectations. They want to have that respect. They want to play with the big boys. They want to beat Ohio State. Uh, nobody wants to come into the season, uh, and I don't care what anybody says. Nobody wants to come into the year as an underdog. Right? Everyone wants to be to have the spotlight on them. It makes your path to the playoff and to a championship a heck of a lot easier. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about that. Well, let me ask you guys uh, uh, from the game, 
on Saturday. W- was there anything, any changes made that you guys saw that you think can be used for good and that, that could be something that, that Michigan's able to ride some success to? Like I saw a lot of people point out, you know, getting Shea Patterson out of the pocket. You know, and kind of maybe, I don't know, simplifying things. I saw someone point out uh, they're putting a lot of the reads in the same window, which is helping him. He doesn't have to scan the field as much. Uh, those are a couple takeaways that, that I saw people have. Anything that you guys saw that, that might be able to be used for some success in the future? Well, I want to hear what you saw because I have a tendency to talk and then talk for like five minutes. And I want to, I kind of want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I, well, I think I think you know using Shea and his entire skill set is obviously a big thing. Uh, they were very good at getting the ball out quicker. It, it seemed like um, I, I was a little concerned that they weren't able to run the ball still as well. Like they couldn't get a, a real good push on that Rutgers team. I don't know, but uh, yeah, offensively, I think that, and I think you know people are making fun of it. Um, the whole Gaddis moving down to the sideline thing. But I, I thought it was a really good point. Like, if you are doing something in practice, like you have this brand new offense, right? And you haven't run it at your time at Michigan. Shea is probably the only guy who's run an offense similar on this team since high school uh, when he was at Ole Miss. So wh- when you're working on it every day in practice and you have the offensive coordinator right there getting immediate feedback after every single play and having him to look to him on the sideline as you're practicing it, I think there is some credence that that is probably more helpful than having him up in the booth. Well, yeah, and the thing of it too is that he is a very high-energy guy. Like you saw that, you know, I, I know people said I, – I didn't – all I saw was highlights and kind of the con- condensed game recap, but – I know they mentioned it a lot on the broadcast that he was down on the sideline and they made the change, but you know, just, you know, I had the binoculars up in the press box and you look down there and like, you know, this is a guy who's fist bumping and, and putting his arm around players and kind of just giving them that immediate feedback, getting into the ear of the refs a little bit, which uh, everyone, there was that not really a viral tweet, but someone said, Oh, look, he's getting into it with Jim Harbaugh already. Like that's not what happened. But um, <laughs> no. uh, I think when you have a guy who's high energy like that in practice, and then all of a sudden on game day, he's up in the box. Like if they have, if they have truly been having good practices and it hasn't been translating to game day, like in my big done brain, like that feels like a disconnect that needed to be sorted out. So kudos to them for doing it. I don't know if it means anything moving forward. Um, and and also it sounds like that Josh Gaddis has always kind of preferred to be on the sideline, which begs the question, why was he up in the box at all to start with? Um, I think that's, yeah. I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And the only thing I can really come up with is I think that before Jed Fish would be up in the box, I know that Pep Hamilton was up in the box as well. Maybe that's just kind of the dynamic that they were used to. But um, I think this is this is much better for them. Um, it's much better for him. You can kind of get a sense of, you know, that face-to-face interaction um, – is just so much more critical and important than, you know, calling the guy down on the field on the sideline and and getting feedback over the phone or over a headset. Like, I just think that that was a really positive change for them. And like I said, I I don't know what it means, but um, my only really, my only real question about that is that why didn't it happen sooner? And you can't go back and change it now, obviously, but um, it's just odd that if he was comfortable with that in the first place, that why it took so long. Yeah, I think what we saw in the offense on Saturday 
one thing that's weird about Shea is he he th- when he's not getting chased, you know, and running for his life, he throws very well on the run. And I think that uh, probably comes from his baseball background as well, being a shortstop that helps him a lot. Uh, and, and I think they had some design plays on Saturday in which he was getting out of the pocket and throwing on the run. He's able to make things happen. Um, the offensive line was very strange on Saturday because I thought they protected Shea marvelously well. But at the same time, they didn't particularly run the ball great. I think part of that is, besides Charbonnet, I don't think this running back core is that deep. I, I know a lot of people uh, might disagree with that, but I'm yet to really see anything out of any one of these running backs besides Charbonnet that makes me think that these guys are particularly special. Uh, and most of all, it, I thought the, I, the receiving core got open. I, I, I don't know how much of a problem that was against Army and Wisconsin. I don't know if that was a play-calling thing, or maybe Wisconsin's DBs are just that good or I, I, no, no disrespect to Army, but I refuse to believe that they were, you know, Ed, Ed Reed and Ronnie Lott, uh, defensive backs covering Nico Collins and and, and uh, Tariq Black there. But uh, the receivers got open, and good things happen when, when that happens. And I've said it many times, when Nico Collins is involved, great things happen. You saw that. His first touch went 52 yards for a touchdown. Um, and, you, now, and I think also having DPJ back and fully healthy makes a difference. Uh, you, it's at the very least, it's one more guy, uh, that helps open up to help open up the offense. And lastly, as far as the receivers go, uh, Ronnie Bell got for whatever, I mean, I, I know why, but seemed to get a lot of criticism after his week one performance in which he was admittedly pretty poor, but he has bounced back and been, he has been this team's best receiver. Yeah. Uh, consistently this season obviously dpj's injuries have something to do with that but he's gotten open he's made catches 13 out of his last um, 15 um, catches have been for first bag in week one he's been very good it's yeah, amazing he's been really good yeah and, and i think uh, getting him more involved in the offense i think shea seems very comfortable with him right now it seems like that's kind of maybe not his go-to guy but it seems like he's always open on plays where they might be double you know Double covering, double covering, uh, someone like DPJ or Collins. You know, Chris, uh, you bringing up the offensive line was interesting because it, it reminded me of something that I wanted to ask you guys. Because I think back to last year, like I kind of want to go back into the archives and listen to the pod we did last year following the Notre Dame game. Because <laughs> I, do you remember how we talked about the offensive line? In that pod, like we thought John Runyon Jr. was the worst offensive lineman in the country after that, that game. game. James Hudson and Jalen Mayfield need to play against Western. They, they must play immediately. Um, like, does this yeah. offensive line have the the ability? I think they do to have like that progression that we saw last year from game one all the way up until the Ohio State game. Yeah, I think I think Saturday is a big test of that because uh, as as Trevor Woods, our guy, put it to me in the press box on Saturday, I was kind of like a diet Wisconsin. So, like, they are physical. They are solid in every yeah. phase of the game. Um, that is – that's a team that's going to come ready to punch you in the mouth. And and they have a guy on their defensive line who's a top-10 talent in the draft this year in A.J. Epinesa. Like, that dude, uh, whether he's on the interior or on the edge, like, he's going to be a problem. And that's – you're right to be concerned about the offensive line. The thing I can't wrap my head around is that it was a team that seemed to thrive – 
and kind of that smash mouth grindhouse style of football. And last year, but this year uh, we're talking about Michigan's offensive line, the pass blocking. I mean, outside like the Wisconsin game, that's a burn the tape game. Like I'm just going to, when we refer to that game, that was just so out of, I don't want to say out of character, but a performance was just so bad across the board that I'm not even sure if we can, you know, I mean, we can't evaluate it and it's a big game and it was obviously disheartening, but um, you know, this offensive line is capable of much more than that. And the pass blocking has been, been good to solid uh, or solid to good. The run blocking to me, I think, and this is where this last week's game tells me that maybe Michigan just needs to kind of piece together a run game and just be efficient. Uh, it was nice to see them kind of roll out some of the bootleg plays on the goal line. They've been setting up for that all year. Um, mind you, would have been nice to kind of unveil that in a game that wasn't against Rutgers, but uh, it's a wrinkle they have nonetheless. But um, you know, the, the 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 fact this offensive line isn't didn't isn't really moving bodies right now, and, and conversely, that the defensive line namely on the, on the interior isn't, is kind of getting pushed around. Um, yeah, we're right to be concerned about that. And, you know, if this week was a test of, or this past week was a test of their metal and their heart and their kind of desire to get this turned around, this is the test of their physicality and grit and how mentally tough they actually can be. Um, it was sort of surprised that they opened as a seven point favorite. I figured they might be favored, but be like two and a half or three and a half points, maybe four and a half. But, um, it's it's already down to five, so it's probably yeah, that seemed like a high number. But then end. again, like that's not set. That's not a. We've said this yeah. a few times on here. Like Vegas lines are not a predictive of how the game will show. It just kind of it's a reflection of where the money, um, you know, where the money's at when the line opens up. And Michigan has a Michigan's one of the most bet teams in the country, so um, it's always kind of you can always kind of throw it off a little bit. And then home teams usually get like three points, so it's it's not a true indicator of what. Vegas thinks might happen in the game, but by the time Saturday comes around, I mean, it usually is kind of reflective of, of how things might shake out. It's scary how accurate they can be at times, but um, yeah, it's a big test for them this week. Uh, Physicality, uh, you know, grit, all these, you know, football guy terms, I guess, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I still have questions about the offensive line. I've, I'm assuming that Iowa will have watched tape from the last seven games and try to run some of the rub routes or the crossing routes. I don't know if, at this point. I don't even know if I can assume that will get corrected because it's almost like half a season's worth of football of a trend now. But uh, yeah, it's they've got their work cut out for them this week. And this is this is a good Iowa team. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 
Block M. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, man. I, I mean, the rub routes are crushing them. I, I, I legit think that the uh, officiating crew missed some blatant offensive pass interference calls on Saturday. Ultimately, it didn't really matter, but it would matter uh, to a team that is that is any good. So I have I have no idea. Uh, I think Dax Hill should play more. I'm going to come out and say that. The guy's so fast that you need that speed out there at the end of the day. Uh, they, they, need to, they need to find a way to play him more. Like, yeah. that's just that. Well, I think that you're going to start seeing more of him in nickel and dime situations as opposed to just on special teams. Uh, Josh Metellus and, and Brad Hawkins are playing too well for one of them to get kind of like Wally pipped out of their positions. So I think you have to find a spot for Dax Hill somewhere. I would assume it'd be in the nickel. Um, you know, Cam McGrone is another guy when Josh Ross comes back and it sounds like he's dealing with a high ankle sprain. So I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see him until maybe Penn state, but uh, you know, it's when he comes back at some point, you might have to get, you know, it would be nice to maybe see if you can get both of those guys on the field. Cause I don't think you can ever have enough speed and athleticism at the linebacker position. Does that mean you go to a three-man front with four linebackers? I don't know. Does it mean that Jordan Glasgow might get you know relegated to kind of a more specialty role? I don't know. Um, you know I would hope, like with Dax Hill and Cam McGrone, and I've said this all weekend, like I'm willing to take whatever growing pains I get right now because I think the upside to having them on the field is just that that high. Uh, whereas you know guys like Glasgow or um, some of the other guys in the defense like are kind of known commodities. You know what the ceiling is. They're fine. They're nice players. Um, and for whatever reason, the flavor of the week in terms of a player that we're all piling on is Jordan Glasgow because he had one bad drive against Rutgers. Uh, I'm not going to – I'm not out on that guy. It's just kind of disheartening to see how quickly people have turned on him because I think he has been pretty good for the most part. Um, but, yeah, at some point, you know, I know there's meritocracy and stuff, but at some point you just need to get your best – your 11 most talented players on the field at all times. And, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, if that means, Hey, we've got three really good wide receivers plus Ronnie bell and you're going four wide. Like, so be it. That's what your strengths are. Your strengths are go for it. Uh, something I'd really like to see this staff do is play to the strengths of the talent that they have. And that's what the great teams do. And a lot of times Michigan um, kind of sticks to what they, what they do and what they want to run. But, uh, with the running game not being you know as efficient, I think it's been efficient, just not explosive. But I think if this offense is going to succeed, uh, you're going to have to you know build around the passing game. Still remain balanced, but you know skewed more towards throwing the football. Um, and then defensively, I just think you need your best eleven athletes out there, especially when you've got some high-powered offenses coming up. So it's you know I don't need the lunch pail grit guys out there. I need the guys who are can keep up with everyone else. So. I guess that's kind of where I stand coming out of this game. Yeah, I, I pretty much feel the same way. I mean, this is a uh, this is going to be a make or break ball game coming up on Saturday, and 
Michigan, we've talked about it several times at this point in order for their goals, you know, to reach their goals, they're going to have to win out. And Saturday, last Saturday was a, could not have come at a better time. I mean, it really couldn't have. Uh, it was, like I said, a glorified bye week. They did everything they needed to do. I think their confidence is back. They have some of their swagger back. It's a must win. And I I know we're not really much into the prediction game. I'm not either. I think Michigan will come out and play well on Saturday and well enough to win. So, uh, And that will be a major step forward for a team that has taken many, many steps back. Uh, at least early on in this season and put themselves pretty far behind. And the here's the, the thing. Touched on necessarily. Um, but uh, until we see Michigan go on the road and win a game that they're not supposed to, like I probably, it, it's going to be up until that point that I think they turn the corner, right? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I I can't even consider the prospect of this team having turned itself around until you win these next two games and then go to Penn State and win. I'm not even worried about, like, the Notre Dame game is what it is. Like, I don't think this is one of the four best teams in college football. So, And even at their best, I don't think they are. So I'm not worried about college football playoff. uh, Yeah. It's it's all about the Big Ten, man. Yeah, you got to be in position with the Big Ten when Ohio State comes to town. And – I think something I want to ask is with the way that Ohio State's playing right now, I think it's kind of fascinating that Ohio State, for what my for what my money's worth, like best two teams in the country right now, Ohio State and Alabama. And yes, it's funny that they're yeah. that good Jesus, yeah. and they're they probably have their best team since that 2014 team. And if Michigan loses to them, people are gonna go absolutely ballistic around here. And it's like right now, I mean, forget, forget what it looked like a couple weeks from now. Like there's no way Michigan keeps that game within like three touchdowns. So it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's unfair to hold them to that standard, but honestly with the team that Ohio state has and, and what we've seen out of Michigan, like Michigan just needs to find a way to get to 10 wins this year. Like honestly to, to have, just have any goodwill about the future moving forward. Um, you know, you'd like to beat Ohio State. There have been times where, you know, back in the 90s, Ohio State had these awesome teams and Michigan was able to, to win and beat them. But, um, you know, you want to just find a way. But the, with the way the Buckeyes are playing right now, like, I could just – I foresee a freak out at the fan base if you don't beat them this year. And I'm like, man, like, it's not like last year where they were a better football team or 2016 where you should have had them stopped on fourth down. Like I just like the gap this year is just so wide and it's not, I'm not setting up for like, I'm not setting people up to like be disappointed or anything, but like, you know what I mean? Like I can't really, the big 10, the big 10 is a race for second place. It really is. Like, I mean, let's just be honest. it, It really is. So, um, I don't know. It's kind of, I think maybe just temp- Ohio State has just beat our will to the ground. <laughs> they really, they really have it, and I think yeah, there will be a freak out if they lo- if and when they lose to Ohio State. And uh, I, I mean, from a fan perspective, I get that. I think a lot of that will just be a lot of frustration because with Urban Meyer gone, it seems like Michigan's about to enter another phase of consistent disappointment 
at the hands of Ohio State. And I think it's it will be frustration about this season, but I think it's going to make last year's wa- loss even worse because, uh, dude, Ohio State was vulnerable last year, and compared to what they are this year, I mean, they were they were weak. I they're they were a tremendous team last year, but they struggled it. But this Ohio State team right now is a football team with zero flaws at the moment. Maybe the deeper we get into the season, we're gonna find them. Michigan State, for whatever reason, has been one of the few teams over the last half decade, decade or so, that has been able to find weaknesses in Ohio State's game. Maybe we'll find some on Saturday when they play each other. But right now, they're world beaters. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where, like, um, I totally just lost my train of thought. But, um, yeah. Again, it's they're just we are suffering from battered Wolverine <laughs> syndrome what? right now, and like you said, I was I was kind of I was still kind of high, you know. Just it was nice to see Michigan yeah. win by fifty. Yeah, it just it just was, and then and then you you go in, you expect Ohio State to beat Nebraska, but you expect it. I don't know, maybe you know, third quarter Ohio State start pulling away, and, and then I mean, what they did to to Nebraska is just. I, I have no words for it. I'm disgusted at how good Ohio State is. I'm disgusted that they're better off with Ryan Day than they were with Urban Meyer. Let me ask you this. If Michigan truly does figure it out here and wins out going to that Ohio State game, and let's just say that Michigan – let's just say Michigan against Ohio State puts up an effort like the Lions did against the Chiefs on Sunday and just barely lose, but like you're right there. Your best just wasn't good enough. How do we That's view a, this that is team a at good the end of the year? Question because you, you look at it right now and you're like, this team's got no chance, but you look at it similar to last year, like the way Michigan got kind of manhandled by Notre Dame. And then all of a sudden they made us kind of forget about that game by dominating Wisconsin, dominating Penn state, going on the road, beat Michigan state favorites going into Ohio state and it's like, I if that happened similar again, and Ohio State still beats them, like it's gonna be you know you you take a step back from it and you say, okay, like Ohio State just had way more talent, you know. But at the end of the day, yeah. when is enough going to be enough? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and the thing of it too is that like. If they don't beat Ohio State this year, let's just say they go, they finish the year ten and two. They didn't beat Ohio State. Um, I don't know what the conversation we have after the year is because I'm not, I'm not having that conversation after the season if they go ten and two and make a decent bowl game. That like, hey, you know, Jim Harbaugh's John Cooper two point can't can't beat the biggest rival on the schedule. I don't know if I can do that. Because then we're really wading into some really. Um, I just kind of feel like unless the bottom falls out under yeah, Jim Harbaugh, well, let me let me ask you this: Who would you, if you were a Nebraska fan, would you rather have uh, Bo Pelini or would you rather have Scott Frost right now? I think I'm still rolling the dice with Scott Frost because of the upside. But man, oh man, like when you get rid of a guy that and wins going nine or and 10 going to Big Ten year, Championship games. Yeah, yeah, and like 
you know, with, with Ohio state being the juggernaut that it is, you know, if you could just get there every once in a while, like that's in this current state of where things are at, like that, I guess would be good enough to me. You know what I mean? Um, It's kind of a, it's, it's a complicated and nuanced conversation that like you can't have on Twitter with whatever it is, 280 characters. Most people only need 10 of them because they say Harbaugh sucks. Michigan sucks or fire Harbaugh. But, um, you know, if this, if they turn this thing around after how the season started with a new offense and give Ohio state a game at the end of the year, like, I think I kind of have to take my hats off to them, but at the same time, like to stomach another loss to Ohio state, uh, no, I guess we just yeah. kind of have to, there's so much football to be played before. That yeah. was just a thought I had over the weekend. Like, you know, especially after how that lions game went, like, yeah, it feels, it sucks to lose. And you want to kind of announce yourselves as there by winning, but you know, I think you can also announce yourselves by, Hey, the gap is not as wide as, as really a lot of people think it is too. So, I don't know, man. Like, it's just so complicated. I, I just watching that Ohio State team and knowing what we do about this Michigan team, I just I don't think I can work myself up to be like to grab my pitchfork and and call for someone's job based on what that team is because honestly, that team is playing the best football in the country right now. Yeah, the the reason I, I I'll never be on the. Jim Harbaugh is, you know, Michigan's version of John Cooper is because John Cooper lost to some really forgettable and average Michigan teams. What he had extremely above average and tremendous football teams like 95 and 96. I believe Ohio state was undefeated in both those seasons. Michigan was average. I mean, they had forgettable years and still beat them two times, you know, each one of those times. Uh, and whereas Harbaugh's had to, you know, well, they flamed out has had to go through some of the most talented football teams in the country year in and year out with what Ohio State's done with Meyer and now Ryan Day. So uh, that's why I I never believed that. But as far as that idea of, you know, how are we going to look back on it if if Michigan goes 10-2, I'll still view it as a disappointment, um, but more so a disappointment that it will will feel almost insurmountable. Like there was – Last year, it felt like there was a real path there, and uh, and they gagged. This year, it seems like you're building to something potentially. You know, Michigan still got a long ways to go. Um, on the verge of building up to something special, and then they'll just run right into an immovable wall. I, and that's kind of the toughest part of is not of this is not just facing the fact that. Um, you lost, but knowing that there was very a lot of football left to be about. played, as Anthony pointed out, you know, obviously it's it's fun to get a little hypothetical look down the road, but tough test coming up here. And uh, you know what? If, if Michigan's able to go get a win this week, well, we've, we've got some more things to talk about next week, but we will leave it for then. And Anthony, where can we find you at social media? You can find me on social media at Anthony T. Broom. Follow the website on Twitter at Mason Brew. Like us on Instagram. Uh, fate or I think I said Facebook, whatever. Like us on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, wherever your social media is, we're there. Uh, we're also wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, Megaphone. We're right on the website, so definitely subscribe to Maze and Brew Podcast there. 
<laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Luke Gierdi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. Also make sure that you follow the Brewcast Show Twitter page at Brewcast Show. And as Anthony mentioned, you know, uh, subscribe, leave a review for all of our shows and content where you get your podcast. Just search Maze of Brew Podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. And we will be back tomorrow with a brand new episode of Future Brew and Brewcast. We'll be back next week. Your sports team is not inferior. That simple fact is plainly obvious to see. We're gonna kick your collective posterior. Of course you realize we're speaking figuratively Our stats are thoroughly impressive Our coach really has a mighty touch Our players are fast and strong and brave And your guys, not so much In fact we played teams across the nation And you're the worst one we've come across Try to assimilate that information And it just might help you cope with your impending loss Oh, and if somehow we are still failing To effectively articulate the points at hand Allow us now to summarize them in a manner That your feeble brains can understand We're great, great. and you suck We're great, great. and you suck we're great, and you suck. You see, there's us, and then there's you. You suck. We're really, really great. In contrast, you really suck. Okay, full disclosure, we're not that great, but nevertheless, you suck. Swift defeat, that theory's backed up by empirical evidence. We're gonna grind up your guys into burger meat. Again, of course, we're speaking in the figurative sense. What's the use of even going through the motions when you know that you're gonna lose anyhow?